Good morning and uh, or good afternoon, just uh, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to this Monday's Wealth Creation Show. A brilliant topic today, Jim. We're going to talk about cash flow as king, not cash, cash flow. So this is right up your street. Um, yeah, I used to have this on uh, on 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 a. I actually I actually took this out and put it in a picture frame. And there was two things I put in a picture frame when I was at work in manufacturing. Um, and no four, but two. <laughs> so two. Um, so it was two things I put in a picture frame in manufacturing when I was in credit control. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the credit control manager, we're collecting millions and millions of pounds of money every single month. Yeah. And I used to say to people, uh, as an accountant, because I was an accountant and I was moved into that department because I couldn't get somebody as specialist as what they could have in me in order to do this because it was a wallet work in progress payments. But that's another story. Yeah. Um, anyway. So I used to have two things in my um, in, in a in a picture, and it was just basically words. It was like there's no profit until the money's in the bank. Yeah, because you can make all the sales possible and you can give everybody credit, but unless that money hits the bank, then that's when the profit's made. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't hit the bank, it's still outstanding. Therefore, it's really hypothetical, and it's no about cash. It's no it's no converted to cash if it's no in the bank. The yeah. other one is, was turnover is vanity, in other words, sales, profit mm-hmm. is sanity, and cash flow is king every single time. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I looked at it. Uh, and I drilled that into my team every single time to be so draconian about the whole thing and so um, focused on collecting money because as, as it came to it, there was nothing until that money's in the bank. You, I mean, you could say you've got a paper profit, but there's loads of companies that actually I could demonstrate and, and going years back, uh, you know, have uh, actually gone into administration because they've been very profitable but had no cash. Yeah. So they've not been able, they've not been able to um, um, satisfy their bankers and they've not been able to satisfy their loans when they've been called in. Look at some countries are like that. Their, their GDP is actually doing very, yeah. very well. In other words, their gross domestic product, which is almost a turnover for the whole country. But they can't service their debt to other countries and other banks around the world and their own bank itself because they borrow so much money and they don't have enough money to pay them back. But the GDP is good. So that's why a lot of com- uh, countries are like, we're kind of skint and they're going to have to extend their loans and get better facilities. So these are the two things, the mantras that I always followed in industry. And, and everybody should be doing that in business. Every single time, that should be yeah. a business mantra. You know, you, you could have the highest turnover in the world, but in the years that all these com- these companies that have made millions and millions and millions of pounds in turnover, but they've made a loss. And we, when we're a wee tiny company, have made a profit. I've actually been better off than them. I'm better, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you look at it like that, that's that's the right way to look at it, yeah. Like the banks, I think go, oh, we've made a loss this year. And I go, well, hey, I'm better off than the banks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's it's one of the most important things uh, and lessons that any entrepreneur or somebody who's starting up a business or running a business have to learn. And some people do learn that painfully, that uh, really cash really is king. And, and we're not talking about the tangible paper asset money. We're talking yeah. about cash flow. Um, and I mean, I check it every single time, by the way. And, yeah. you know, I was at, I was talking to someone as well as, as running a small business, just a wee small enterprise, uh, and it's a coffee shop. I've talked to them this morning mm-hmm. about it, and it says, oh, I've been away for about three or four days. And I went, you'll have kept an eye on your, you know, your sort of your key indicators, your turnover and what's going on. And it's like, no, I just trust my staff. And I'm like, what? 
It's like you could trust your staff quite easily, but the reality is you've still got KPIs you want to look at. And the one I look mm -hmm. at every single day almost is my cash flow. Yeah. Every single time I look at the bank, because if cash flow is going up, right, I know where my VAT is in terms of what I've got to pay. I know where my corporation tax is because I have a hand on that as well. So I know what cash I've got left. And mm -hmm. if the cash keeps going up, the target keeps going up in cash, and I'm not borrowing any money to bring more money in, and I'm not due any money back for anybody, then I know I'm profitable automatically. Yeah. So you don't actually need a set of accounts to do that. You can actually just keep an eye on your bank account. If you understand the principles of how the cash comes in and how it goes out, and you monitor that and the cash still goes up, you know you're going to be profitable. That's one of the that's one of the strategies and the KPIs that you should be looking at every single time. So yes, I check it every single day. And it's just one of these things I do as a mantra. Yeah, that's true. And it, but then would it be true to say it, it doesn't matter like how much money you actually have coming in in the future. If you don't have it now or enough money to get from where you are now to where you want to be, Absolutely. then yeah. Uh -huh. How's anybody going to get paid? Yeah, well, that's the next thing. You do the salaries. How's anybody going to get paid? You're not going to pay them with profit. And if you've got employees, they're not going to wait for you to pay their salaries. Uh, if, uh, I'll try it, Richard. Richard, see when it comes <laughs> in the month. Can I just, can I just be, owe you the money? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work like that, of course. <laughs> I didn't um, think it would be as the diplomatic answer as that, Richard, would it? No. <laughs> it would probably start with an F and end with an F. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, employees is a good one uh, as an example. And so as landlords and things, obviously, we, I deal with landlords all the time. And landlords don't care if maybe we've got things in the pipeline or, do you know what I mean? Uh, they're not going to wait for money um, no. till the next month. Um, they want it paid that month. Do you know what I mean? and, and you need to think about that. It's the I'm same with contract. I'm going to pay my mortgage as a landlord. It's like, I need the money now because that's yeah. what the mortgage relies on. And remember, the tenant's not paying your mortgage. The tenant's paying the finance on the mortgage. That's mm -hmm. all they're paying. And it's, the, it's a mortgage they would have had anyway, more than likely, if they're going to bought a house. So, yeah. you know, and they're paying the capital amount on that. So they're only paying your finance element, really. They're not paying down your debt for them. So let's get that right out in the open night now for any tenants out there that think they're paying the landlord's mortgage. You are not paying their mortgage at all. Yeah. You're only paying the finance element. The landlord is you're paying for them to be responsible for things like the improvements and also their payers as well on the on the on the yeah. premises and making sure it's window watertight and habitable for you to live in. And you're also paying for the luxury that you can exit and entry, entry and exit this whole transaction in a small minimal cost over a shorter period of time. Therefore, you're not taking on the huge responsibility of holding a mortgage and also of the thousands of thousands of pounds you have to pay to get the mortgage organized to obviously buy the house as well. And then the exit as well to sell the house and then actually buy the next house. So you're not mm -hmm. a, you're not doing that when you're renting. So that's what, so, so if you're a tenant, get this right out of your head, you're not paying the landlord's mortgage. Yeah, and that is a, that's often very too often the misconception of people that oh, but I'm just paying for their mortgage. And well, no, that's not entirely true, um, and and well explained uh, there, Jim. But another thing is um, we we speak about landlords and employees and suppliers is a good one as well. And your suppliers, if you can't pay your supplier, they're not going to extend credit to you, and yeah. they're the ones that are providing you with uh, materials and whatever that you need to then provide a service to ultimately make money. You see yep. that has an open effect. Yeah, I've got, look, um, I've got a, you know, can I pay you just with my token for my, for my, my trolley <laughs> at the supermarket? I could maybe pay you with that this month. 
you know, is that any good to you, Mr. Supplier? It's no. like, no. It's like, I need cash. I need cash. You see how I say cash and how, how important cash flow is? They can't. You can't go, can I pay you with turnover or can I pay you with profit? It's like, no, that's no that's no tangible. I can't, I can't use that. I can't take that to someone else and pay them my bills. And, and mm -hmm. they've got to pay bills as well. So this is why cash flow is so important. Cash flow. Yes. I mean, cash. Here's cash. Now, I'm not going to rip it up, but this is cash. This is yeah. worthless. <laughs> it's nothing. You yeah. know, you can make paper. Well, you can't even make a paper airplane out of it now. But cash is worthless as it stands mm -hmm. right now. This is just a promissory note. It's when you use it, it flows. So it becomes cash flow as a result. So it's when you use it to buy goods and services and do what it needs to do, that's and when it becomes home. cash flow, and that's where it flows to the next person or it flows into your bank, one or another, and that's how business is done, and that's how important cash flow is. Remember, as I said, drill it into your mind. Turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash flow is king every single time. I don't yeah. care what turnover you've got. And I don't care how many employees you've got working for you. What's your bottom line in your bank? Where's yeah. your profit? And how much is translated into cash in your bank? Because you're going to get tax knocked off it. You're going to have to pay out shareholders if you've got somebody else involved in this business. And what are you going to be left with for you to use and for you to reinvest in your in your, in your your business? That's why it's so important is, is, is to have cash flow. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, Jim, and it's true that more businesses do fail due to a lack of cash flow as opposed to a lack of profit. Of course I mean, is do. there any particular reasons why that is? Because they get caught up in the whole thing about, you know, they look at their accounts and, the, and their accountant comes along and says, oh, you're making a huge profit. But what they don't realise is whatever they're manufacturing, the classic one is what they're doing is they build stock. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you build stock, it's in the P&L, it's recognised as a cost. Um, and, and then it's also recognised in your balance sheet as an increase in wealth. Therefore, it's it, it doesn't get deducted properly and it doesn't get accounted for properly. So you can tie all your cash flow up into stock. So mm -hmm. you, in other words, you started off at the start of the year with maybe 300,000 in the bank. But you've made a load of stock, maybe £200,000 worth, and it's cost you £100,000 to do. Therefore, yeah. you've potentially got £100,000 profit to make when you sell that, but you've got 100000 of your cash now disappeared into that stock. And unless, you sell, it, unless you sell it, you've only got 200000 in the bank now. So that's why mm -hmm. cash flow is so important, because it can get tied up in your stock, plus the fact when you give your creditors um, or, or your yeah, no, your customers, when you give your customers, your debtors, I mean, no, that's your customers, when you give mm -hmm. your customers uh, credit and you say to them, okay, you can have that million pounds worth of goods, it's like you've not got the cash for that. You've got to finance out of your own money. So if you've got a million pounds of goods outstanding and you've it's maybe cost you five hundred thousand to make, then five hundred thousand of your stock has now been transferred into their hands and you're waiting for them to pay you before that profit can be realized. But what happens is that million pounds goes straight on the top line as a sale. Therefore, that stock comes off. Therefore, that profit's realized straight away. And that sits in your accounts and your balance sheet as a debtor, a debt outstanding from your customers. Yeah. Therefore, it's not into your bank yet. Therefore, you could have loads of debtors, but you could have minimal cash in terms of cash flow in your bank. 
And that's how that can happen. So it can get yeah. locked up and given favorable credit terms. It can get locked up in building for stock. It can get locked up in other things as well. Um, but these are the two main things that, that gets locked up in. And therefore, that's how it's so important to get your, uh, um, your debtors as low as possible. In other words, the people that are due you money to collect that and get it in their bank and um, to allow you to have cash flow to move. And there's a classic example about stock, about holding stock. Look at Dell. And we've gone back yeah, to this before example. about Michael Dell. He had billions of pounds in stock because they did a just-in-time system where we could build a computer and give it to you there and then. And he was like, well, we've got to buy all this stuff in advance and tie all our money up in stock. And he went, well, wait a minute, let's pass it on to suppliers, get them to hold the stock, get them to use their cash. And that's how he got back into a system which was a just-in-time system. Most people will know just-in-time system for inventory management now. And whereas the suppliers held the stock and they called them off straight away, so they got them the next day. Therefore, they didn't tie all their cash up. Therefore, they will they will either be able to buy their shares back, increasing the shareholder value of their of their um, shares, or mm -hmm. what they can do is return dividends to the the shareholders themselves because they've now got cash in the bank to do that. Or they yeah. can reinvest in other projects. In other words, they'd have the cash to do it now to to be a bit more adventurous in different areas. This is why Amazon's renowned for never really making a profit because they put so much back into into research and development in terms of what they're doing they get huge tax advantages for it by the way and then you know kind of move tax about and you know shell companies and stuff like that around the world and um, you know but that's that's how they do it and as far as everybody's concerned that's perfectly legal for them to do yeah so would it be fair to say maybe some business owners and things are a wee bit unrealistic about predicting cash flow um, and that's probably where they have the problems and and they tend to maybe overestimate income and underestimate their expenses and obviously not have a, a proper yeah. strategy and, and looking at so, it properly. So it was identified in FRS 3, um, which is a financial records uh, um, standards, uh, financial mm -hmm. records standard 3, uh, which was a cash flow statement um, for mm -hmm. most PLCs. So what happened was everybody was running out of cash and it was again identified. So accountants came up with, okay, we can do FRS3, which is cash flow statements. And every PLC now has to have a balance sheet, um, a profit and loss account, and a cash flow statement. And the cash flow statement shows you if you've increased your cash or decreased your cash by the end of the year. So it can look very profitable, but when you get to the cash flow statement, you go, oh, well, we've not got much cash. We've actually decreased this year in cash. So where's it disappeared to? And it actually breaks it down into stock, into into debtors, into creditors yeah. and suppliers and all the rest of it, and where all that money moved about about in. So therefore, it gives you that overall picture in the, at the bottom. So it's no longer just a snapshot of the company and the balance sheet at that point in time and what you did in the year with the profit and loss. It's now where did your cash, where did it go, and where did it come from in the year? And that completes the picture overall um, through FRS3, which is Financial Record uh, Standard Statement um, in 3, you know. Yeah. There's no other word. And, and that's obviously they've not they've not anticipated for cash shortages and things, and then ultimately run out of money. Ah, uh, yeah, that's what that's what happens. They live for today. A classic example of small businesses. Here's what happened with most small businesses. They look at their bank statement and they look at it every single day on their on their app or whatever it is, and, and they go, "Wow, I've got a lot of cash," um, mm -hmm. but they don't realise they've still got their VAT bill to come out of there. And then they don't realise as well because they're, they're, they've got the last year when they made a profit, they've still got their corporation tax in there to pay out of that for last year. 
So they look at that and they think to themselves, God, I've got a lot of money there. And they just get caught up in this. They've got tons of money. And in actual fact, they've not. When they start stripping out their their corporation tax due for the yeah. year before, which is nine months before it's actually due. So if your year ends in December, you have to put your accounts in and pay your corporation tax by the end of September, the following year. So see how that could easily get misinterpreted and people can lose their way if they're a small business because they don't understand their numbers and they don't understand what uh, balance sheet, profit and loss and cash flow statements are for. They don't understand the, the why that's important and that cash flow is the most important thing. And they just look at that and think, oh, I could pay myself something. And then they go and pay themselves something and then their, their, their corporation tax bill comes in and they go, yeah, we've got any money to pay it. We've got any money left. Like, yeah, what, and then what, what, what have I done? It's like, and, and then the HMRC comes across this all the time. They just, you've obviously just looked at your bank statement and thought, thought you've got plenty of cash, when in actual fact it's no yours. It's actually the HMRCs for VAT or, or, or HM, H, HMRC, yeah, is, is the VAT man, and also inland revenue for the corporation tax. Yeah, I mean, that kind of oversight and overlooking that can be really detrimental to any business because then that leaves you in a position where you really need to cease what you're doing whether it's um obviously operations and what you're doing or and, and that's despite whether you've got lots of active customers or clients but you kind of do what you need to do because you've not got the cash to do it this is why it's so important as well to understand where your costs are and then mm -hmm. also understand where your um outgoings are on a regular basis every single month so doing mm -hmm. some sort of budget strategy where on a monthly basis you're able to track and know where where you're going to be and where your cash is going to be uh, in order to be whether it's up or down at the bottom so, you know, you have a typical cash flow statement where you see a million coming in. You maybe got a million coming in your profit for that month. But if it's collectible in 60 days time, then you won't get that million pounds in your cash flow statement until two months later. Mm -hmm. So if you start off at scratch with giving the million pounds away, you've got to finance that money. And it's probably 500,000 you spent on stock in order to sell it for a million because you're getting you're getting 100 percent markup which is what most warehouses or organizations do and most shops do that as well 100 markup and so therefore they're going to get that money in two months time therefore they've got the next month they're going to do the same thing and they're probably going to have to carry another million pounds so there's another five hundred thousand out in cash um in order to do that so they maybe made two million pounds in that month in terms of turnover and they've got their cost just say but but let's take it two million the cost is five hundred thousand and therefore by the time they get to month three, that's when their, their first million pounds will come in. But in month two, they're still financing a million pounds in cash with, with sales that they've done. And they're waiting on this million pound coming in. This is why when a big a big customer goes out of business and they're due their money, then they go to the wall. A classic example of that is Alba Confectionery. You remember, mm -hmm. remember um, gum, gobstoppers and gummies and all the rest of it? Yeah. Alba Confectionery, yeah. Um, I can't remember what they call Skull Crushers. Remember Skull yeah. Crushers and all that? Mm -hmm. And they all bought themselves company cars. I remember this story. They all bought themselves company cars. Woohoo, we're rich. Because they had all these agreements and everything like that. But what they didn't realise is I think they bought the they bought the franchise rights or the licensing rights to make uh, stuff for uh, 007 or something mm -hmm. like that. Or maybe Ghostbusters or something, and uh, and it didn't go according to plan, and they made all this stock and they churned it all out, and their their terms of uh, collecting money uh, and everything was completely out. Therefore, they ran out of cash straight away, and they were done, mm -hmm. done. And then somebody like a big corporation like uh, what was it? I, I think it's Barrett or something like that. You know the sweets, um, Bassett. Do the, yeah, Bassett. That's it. 
Bassett comes in and then they go, oh, we'll, 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 buy, all the, we'll buy all the rights to actually use your suites. So they buy all the rights up and, and basically asset strip the company and leave it. Nobody wants to deal with it after that. So that's what mm. happens, and it's in and it's and it's in and in a in a in a in a sort of you know hyperbolic chamber. You know, if this happens, yeah. if that happens, if this happens, this is what's going to happen at the end. It's a mm -hmm. foregone conclusion. It's uh, that that will happen if if the, if you follow that track and that path. So you have to be able to, as a small business, um, regardless of what you're doing, whether it's property investment, whether it's just a coffee shop, whether it's a, a hairdresser, whether it's a nail boutique, whether it's a salon or anything like that, you've got to make sure you forecast for, for money uh, going out and bills coming in. And I mean like yeah. things like your broadband bills, your um, your council tax bills, if you've got you know houses, if you've got empty voids and stuff like that. Um, if you've got um, refurbishment bills to do, if you've got um, uh, suppliers to pay over a certain period of time, you know, you again, you can get led into this false sense of security where you're making instant sales. For, say, for example, let's look at the coffee shops because they're quite popular. They're making instant sales straight away, but they have all the suppliers that they're getting, you know, products off of, and they've got credit terms with them maybe about 60 or 90 days. So they're making all this money and they've got it all flown into their bank, but they, they don't realize that actually in, in the next three months, they're going to be due big, huge bills out of that yeah. money. They just look at their bottom line cash flow and they look at their profit and they go, yay, I'm in the money. I'm in. The... And, then, <laughs> and they're going, yay, they're, they're, they're it out. They're on, they're buying new cars and they're, they're all the rest of it. And then the next minute it's like, hey, yeah, oh, I'm no longer here. And everybody's yeah. going, what happened? And it's like, well, that's what happened. That's what typically happens. So Genesis, what was... Genesis Creations was another one. If, if anybody remembers of Genesis Creations, this is the wee dragons coming out the eggs and stuff like that. Um, mm, yeah. And they were, they were based on, I think, the East Nuker Largo or something like that. So Genesis Creations existed. And I'm sure the same thing happened to them. They just ran out of cash. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going, we'll, we'll, we'll go a wee bit deeper into predicting cash flow and, and managing cash flow as we go through. But just yeah. before we move forward, obviously we made the statement about obviously more businesses fail due to a lack of cash flow than they do a lack of profit. So I just wanted to, before we, we go ahead, let's just look at the difference between profit and cash flow yeah. uh, and what they actually are defined as uh, individually. I mean, profit is the difference between income and expenses and income is calculated well, well, at the yeah, time of sale. Hey, let's, let's tell people what income is and what expenses are just for the people, the layman. Because okay. I, I remember when I first started out, before I knew anything about accountancy, yeah. I was yeah. like, what the hell is turnover? I have mm -hmm. no idea what anybody's talking about. Is turnover the same as sales? Because people refer to turnover, they refer to sales in the same conversation. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, are they are, 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 are the two different things? And it's like, no, they're exactly the same. I don't know why people refer to them two different things. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that, and it's it's a mistake probably made by a lot of people. Like, I just done it the other now. Obviously, profit is the difference between income and expenses. And people are like, but, but what is income and what's an expense? Um, so let's look at that in a wee bit more detail, firstly, just... Uh, uh, to obviously clarify for people and as i say income is calculated as th at the time of a sale being booked rather than when the, the payments actually received and you touched on yeah. that earlier Jim. Um, and that's something that you need to be aware of and yeah. expenses are calculated at the time of the purchase when the purchase is made rather than when the bill is paid mm -hmm. so does, that, right. does that yeah whereas yeah. cash flow i'll let you go then 
Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, expenses, as I said before, are calculated at the time of the purchase is actually made. So it's actually mm -hmm. putting the P&L um, yeah. rather than actually when you pay the bill. This is why yeah. a lot of businesses it, it, it give a lot, a lot of credit out to their customers, want to then get a lot of credit and, and, and extend the terms on paying their actual suppliers because they're using their suppliers to finance their customers. And mm -hmm. um, now... Actually, I had another, I'll tell you about a third one, third mm -hmm. picture. I had a third picture and I had them framed. And the third one was credit is a luxury. It's not a right. Yeah. In other words, it's a, it's something I, I give to you as a, as an extension of my terms in order to help you buy my product. And I don't need to give it if I don't want. Yeah. And that's why I said, I've, you've often heard me say, I'm not your bank. Well, not bank, bro. Yeah. I am not the bank. It does not have the bank of Jim Parker across my across my business. Yeah. It does not have the bank of five properties across my business. I am not here to extend and keep people's finance and, and finance their businesses. I am not yeah. here to keep them in business and keep them propped up they have to pay their bills on time and when it's due. Likewise, I expect myself to fully pay my bills exactly when they're due. Yeah. And literally for me, that's why I always say to you, I want people paid. I want that job signed off as quick as possible. And then so I want people pay. paid as quick as possible as well, because I am not here to take advantage of other people's um, uh, position, uh, because then yeah. that puts them into a position of I'm a debtor, to them yeah. um, and 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 therefore I'm 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 owe them money I, and I don't like the idea I, I mean I just don't like that you know the sponsorship for Fife Fest uh, as soon as I was finished with Jordan I went you, uh, uh, we paid this bill yet and he went no and I says well get it sent over to me he says I've not made it yet I said get it sent over to me I want yeah. to get that paid there's no way I'm going to be outstanding in my debts no and that's uh, a, and good, it's it's a good way to operate a business it's a good way to operate a business uh, Richard because therefore uh, neither a debtor or a creditor will be. And you've yeah. maybe heard that once before. No, neither debtor or creditor will be. In other words, I will not owe anybody money and I won't expect anybody else to owe me money. And that way, I know where I stand and I don't need to sit and work out who am I due and start robbing Peter to pay Paul? Because that's yeah. what happens with a lot of these businesses. And then the next, because that's what I had. I used to have people say to me in industry, they used to phone me up and say, you know, you're going to give me extended terms. And you and I'm like, sorry? It's like, what do you, what do you mean I'm going to give you extended terms? You're buying off at us and that's fine. But the reality is you've been told to come to us through the local authority and you've got no way to negotiate with us at all because the local authority has told you to use us whether you like it or not. So yeah. I'll decide what terms you're going to get. And that's, that's the fact. That's it. You're a, you're a subcontractor in between us and the local authority. They're dealing mm -hmm. with us. So I'm not giving you any credit at all because I've just looked up your accounts and you've not got a pot to piss in. Yeah. That's and there's no way I'm giving you extended credit because the reality is, if you go to business, we've got a bad debt, and that's on me yeah. for doing that. Do you know there's an expectation for people uh, more often than not um, for credit and things, and I think that's, I mean, that's quite a common thing now, and and Absolutely. it's true what you say though about, uh, I mean, credit really is now it shouldn't be just expected, but I think that's maybe society the way it is now because obviously there's credit available everywhere. Um, so people just expect it and, and expect to be entitled to it as well. Yeah, 
you know, there, there is sort of an expectation, but you've got to go in with the principle that, you know, neither a debtor or a creditor will be. And if, mm-hmm. and if you're like that, that'll come across clearly with everybody else that you're not expecting yeah. to send credit to them. You know, when we go into a customer and, you know, there's there's an expert, well, well, the home report, for example. So yeah. the home report, we're due to our, our surveyors. Mm-hmm. We don't, I don't, I don't ask for credit from our surveyors. It's like we've got to collect that money on behalf of the surveyor. So therefore, we expect people to pay that up front. It's like, yeah, yeah you're paying up front because I'm not financing it. Because if you finance, you can imagine you've been financing, you've got 100 property listings on it at any one point in time, and your home report on average is £400. You've literally got £40,000 worth of money sitting tied up and extending credit to people. That's £40,000. That's how you go to business. So it's like, no, 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 let's get that money in now. Because I've still got to pay everybody. I've still got to pay everybody, so I can't finance you because I'm financing everybody else. Oh, but it's only £400, you see. It's like, no, but there's a hundred other people. So that's why I'm not extending credit to anybody else. It's not there for that. Now, there's a a matter of, in certain circumstances, where people are in a hardship situation, then, you know, we can work on that and we can help people out in that way. But I've known, you know, if somebody's got the money and they can pay for it, then they pay for it. It's a a business for a service. You provided the service, so you pay for the, the product. That's it. Nutshell. Yeah, definitely. So um, for people that are maybe wondering how do they project their cash flow and how do they keep track of that, um, there's certain ways of doing that, obviously, and, and doing it properly. But I think you obviously need to start with what you have in hand, your cash that you have in hand, and look at your current... I mean, this is going to go into, like, uh, organising on spreadsheets and things, um, I think, but which is something that you, you love doing, Jim. But, like, look at your current bank account and, and see what's actually in there. Um, and review that. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah. So here's what you do. You take your current bank account yeah. and you divide it into income and expenditure. In other words, mm-hmm. what's coming in, what's going out. Now you can yeah. see what's coming in because it goes in your credit column and you can see what's going out because it goes in your debit column and your statement. So therefore, what you can do is you put that into a spreadsheet. Now, most bank accounts now allow you to download that in an Excel file. Yeah, you can. Which goes in a spreadsheet in Excel, more than likely industry standards, Microsoft Excel. So then what you can do is download that in and then you can put your titles next to it. Okay, that's sales. That's maybe a grant I got because, the you know, let's be honest, people got COVID grants. Uh, that's maybe extra income I got from maybe insurance referrals. That's maybe rents I got. That's maybe something else and miscellaneous income, just a small amount that really neither here nor there. You've got that in terms of your your numbers. And then you can put a toll and say, that's my income coming in. And then you get your debit column and your bank statement, and then you start categorizing that. And the example is, okay, that's repairs and improvements that I've done. Here's as a landlord. Uh, that's finance costs. In other words, that's the costs I've got to pay for my interest on my mortgage. Now, it's, now you might have finance costs as in, you might have a cattle repayment mortgage, that won't transpire, that won't that won't change the profit. That'll just be cash flow. So that'll be the amount you pay out for your mortgage. I'll explain that in a, in a bit a bit differently. I'll, I'll explain that a bit differently, actually. While landlords, you know, end up running out of cash at the end of the year and pay a tax bill out of their own money. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. explain that just when I get to this. So so you've got your mortgage coming in, 
You've got maybe council tax because the property is empty just now. You've got your utilities because the property is empty just now. Uh, you've got your maybe your uh, expenses for your telephone because you need a mobile to cooperate with. You've got broadband, uh, broadband mobile expenses as well. Um, so they've got broadband expense because you've got to, you've got to be online. You've got laptops and stuff like that because you've had to buy that to to run your business. You've maybe got you've maybe big enough landlord. You've got um, you've got in terms of. Uh, Maybe a subscription, for example, to Sage. You know, I, I got Sage when I first started and I yes. used that all the time. So it was easy for me to hit a button at the end of the year and I'd get my profit and loss or any month of the year um, when I was doing that. And I was able to compare it against the previous year. But most landlords don't have that. You'll also have, if you've got a letting agent doing it for you, you've got your letting agent fees. So you've got management fees as well. And then you've got other things, uh, bank charges that you've got because um, you'll have them eventually. That's how it works. And so you've got all these different categories and that'll be your expenses. And you hit the button, total that up. Then one minus the other should be the difference between the start of the month, your bank balance, and the end of the month, your bank balance. And that should reconcile to the exact amount of the difference between the income minus the expenses. Um, yeah. And that should be perfect. Now, if you've got that every single month and you know what your rents are going to be every single month, you're able to then, we'll call it extrapolate, in other words, yeah. you know forecast out from there that's what i'm going to get every single month now for me personally when i first started when i was a landlord it was four weekly the cycle so every single month four weekly i was getting it but by the time i got to the march i got two payments in the month because i got one at the beginning and i got one at the end because it's a four weeker and then it was a you know four weeks there's 13 there's 13 uh, there's 53 is that no, there's 13 four-week months in a year. Yeah, so you got 13 payments from the local authority. Yeah. Because remember, uh, four times 13 is 52. 52 yeah? yeah. So there's 13 four-week months in a year. I think it's Gregorian calendar or something like that, or is that four, four, five? I don't know. But that's how the four-week cycle went with the local authority. So by the so you were carrying a whole month in rent until you got to the end of the year. And then you would get two, two, four weekers in that one month. Therefore, your cash flow would be out by then. So mm -hmm. it would look like you're making profit every single month was quite low. And then you got to the final month and then all of a sudden your rent doubled for that time. So you can see how you could forecast that out all the way through. And then you know your rent, if you've got fixed rate mortgages, you know your mortgage is going to be exactly the same. If you think mortgages are going to go up a bit, you can you can say, right, okay, if mortgages go up, I'm going to, I'm going to say that it's going to go up by that amount and, and then that will change my figures. And then, the, then that, that's how it works from there. So that's how you use a cash flow statement to accurately predict where you are cash flow-wise every single month. So then you can look at the bottom with the inflows and outflows and say to yourself, plus and minus, whatever that is, and then for night for you'll know every single month it's like, I'm going to need an overdraft, or I'm maybe not going to need an overdraft, or I should be fine, you know, something like that. So you will mm -hmm. be able to work that out in, in some sort of shape or form. Um, when it comes to profit, for example, uh, here's a classic example. Um, probably, I'll maybe, just, I'll maybe just take up a spreadsheet and just show you what I mean by this, how profit could be different. Uh, yeah. I'll need just, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I was just going to ask you the question, but obviously you're going to pull one up, like, how, I mean, you've just demonstrated um, there by going through that, but I mean, how important is it for any any one individual, if they're starting up a business or currently running a business, to have yeah. this kind of set out on a spreadsheet and keep track of this? 
Where's your rent? Uh, where's your mm -hmm. interest? Yeah. Your mortgage. Now bear with me because it's going to be a bit of fiddly here. That's fine. And I'm just going to yeah. say we're going to rent. Well, your rent is a thousand pound a month. Okay. Maybe your mortgage is a thousand pound a month. All right. Um. So your cash flow, your cash flow is effectively going to be zero, isn't it? It's going to be one minus mm -hmm. the and this is an ideal this is an, an ideal situation so your cash flow is going to be zero but what happens is your rent is a thousand pound a month but you just so happen to be on a capital repayment mortgage where 500 pounds is interest and 500 pounds is capital repayment is is down low down low on the on you know on the reducing the amount that you do okay but the, the inland revenue doesn't look like that so this is profit this is sorry this is cash flow uh, cash flow um, and this is is profit. You, you'll be thinking most people will be thinking to themselves, but surely profit zero as well. But no, if your mortgage is five hundred pounds in cap capital element and five hundred pounds in interest element, interest, yeah. um, therefore the mortgage um, you're getting for profit is five hundred pounds. You're allowed to deduct. So therefore, then land revenue says, a minute, your profit's five hundred pound. Your cash flow is zero, by the way. But, you're, but yeah. your profit's £500. So we want you to pay tax on that. So it just so happens, you could say it's a limited company, for example. Your limited company is times uh, 0.25. Mm -hmm. It's 125. So so uh, so plus um, 500 minus 125 leaves you 375 in terms of your profit. But you still got zero cash. And you've got to pay out 125. Mm-hmm out of that for your corporation tax. So uh, plus the zero, uh, plus the minus 25, you're 125 quid down in your cash, but you're 375 quid up in your net profit. So how, how do you get how do you get around that then? I'm not uh, around them. How do you resolve for me that? Personally, for me personally, I do interest-only mortgages. Right. Now, the reason I do interest-only mortgages is because there's no capital element then. So yeah. if my mortgage is, is £500, then my profit will end up being 500 See that? Yeah. See the profit there, 500 So that's an interest-only mortgage. And then uh, the cash flow, I mean. So 500 mortgage, an interest-only, £1,000 rent. So I've got £500 cash. If the rent's £1,000 and the mortgage's interest is 500 then I've got 500 profit. Therefore, if I'm due 125 quid tax, I take that off and I've got 375. So yeah. my profit is 375, my cash flow is 375 in the bank. Makes it so simple. And then I can build up wealth over a period of time. And then I can go to my original uh, my original debt. And then I can say, I tell you what, I'm going to take a tranche of the cash I've built up and I'm going to pay down my debt now. Or I'm going to buy another property and make even more money. Was just going to say that as a great example of using the bank's money to leverage your position. Of course it is. Yeah, I would rather. You know, for me, this is not advice for anybody. By the way, just to, just to say, yeah, that. yeah, this is just, not advisors. This is me personally. This is how I've done it over the years. Is I would rather have the money, the cash in my account to pay off the capital if I wanted to at any point in time then have it in the bank's account and pay down the loan. And then what happens is, what happened in the credit crunch, here's what happened in the credit crunch. Mm -hmm. All the house prices took a tumble. I still had the cash in my bank. So I was technically negative equity. 
but everybody else was in negative equity, but they weren't able to borrow against their property to get the money back because they'd paid off some of their debt. I mean, admittedly, that was worse off in negative equity, but I'm long-term, so it's going to come back anyway, and it did. You know, no shit, Sherlock. Tell me, tell me something I didn't know was going to happen, um, because it always comes back anyway. It's just a short-term blip, or a medium-term blip in terms of the credit crunch. Therefore, I'm able to pay back the amount that I've got anytime I want, but I've still got the cash in my bank. Think about it this way. Look at what I've got just now. I've got an offset mortgage. Okay, yeah. so I'm setting my offset mortgage right now. My mortgage is 130,000, or it was 135. I had 135,000 in cash. I put it as an offset. Therefore, I'm not paying anything at all to my mortgage. I am paying a certain amount, but they're paying the debt down. So my 135,000 is now 130,000 to my mortgage. I have still mm-hmm. got 135,000 in cash in my account. Ah, I see. I can use that anytime I want for what I want, but as soon as I start paying down that mortgage, do you think they're going to give me that money back when I need it? No. No, no, no way. They'll be, they'll be fighting tooth and nail to actually give me that back. And if they wanted to give me it back, guess what I'd have to do? I'd have to pay them for the privilege of getting it back. Your own money, yeah. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that? And plus the fact is, I'll be honest, the more debt I've got against the more assets I've got, the least inheritance tax I'll pay. What that one out? Yeah. Because so if I've got a if I've got a property business, it's now again, there's a bigger picture to this, but this is just one example I'm saying. If I've got a property business and it's got a million pounds in assets, and I've got a million pounds in liabilities, okay, in other words, debt. Yeah. The company is worth zero. And net net assets, isn't it? Yeah. But I've still got a million pounds of property actually earning rent every single month, and actually earning money every Which single month. Capital. Yeah. And over a period of fifteen to twenty years, remember, long term investment for property is fifteen to twenty years. For God's sake, stop listening to the furus, the fake gurus out there. Yes, it's every ten years. It is not every 10 years. They're delusional. If you look at the statistics, it's not every 10 years that property prices double in value. It's every 15 to 20 years. You must go on that. And hey, hey what? If it's every 10 years that works out for you at the time, it's like bonus. If I had it, yeah. it to be every 15 to 20 years. So therefore, that in 15 to 20 years, that million pounds I've got with no net worth and property will add another million onto it. And I will be increased in capital wealth by a million. Now, I can at that time choose to say, I tell you what, I'll go back to my bank now. I'll release that even more and I'll take more money out and I'll reinvest it and buy more property or I'll do something else with it. Now, if you don't Mm -hmm. do anything that's business related, property related, that becomes taxable, by the way. Yeah. That's a tax because it'll either come out of your income and income tax or it'll come out of your dividend tax or whatever it is. They will not let you away with that. Now, if you've not got enough assets in order to pay out a dividend, because there is a rule against that, remember, if you've not got enough assets to pay out a dividend, in other words, you've got no net worth to your business, therefore you can't pay a dividend out. If you take money out and use it on yourself, it becomes a director's loan, which is taxable Mm -hmm. with interest payments. And you're taxable under a set criteria set down by the government. 
check with your accountant for that, by the way. It's usually base plus five or something like that at uh, the time you've got your taxable one. So they, they'll, they'll charge you a notional tax on it because they saw it as a benefit in kind, more or less, if you go for a long time as a director's loan. Or the other one is if you go and spend it, they'll end up saying, well, you've actually you've actually um, used that as income, therefore it's subject to income tax, therefore you're actually just PYE and even worse, you're just national insurance. National insurance, I was just going to say that, yeah. So you're getting nailed to the wall with that as well. So you've got to be extremely careful about how you're doing things and you need to speak to an accountant before you actually do something. So there's no surprise when I tell you that six, seven, seven different companies that we operate, um, I've got them to do all my tax returns before the end of September, even though they're due next April uh, or next January, uh, I've got them all to do so I can forecast for our cash flow to know where we stand. Because the one thing I do not want to do is get into a position where I go, oh, I've got lots of cash. And then the next minute, it's like, by the way, there's your tax bill. And at the end of the year, it's like, shit, I've run out of money. I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to rob Peter to pay Paul. Don't want to get into well, that position. That was the last thing that we're going to cover a lot for the last portion of the, the show today. As I was going to ask you like tips on managing cash flow. And one of the first things, obviously, is, is to plan ahead. And that's a great example of that, Jim, is to is to budget and forecast um, for the month ahead and, as you say, for the year ahead yeah. um, and look at your revenue as accurately as as possible as you can. Absolutely, yeah. And and how long is a piece of string? But you kind of know, especially if you're a buy-to-let landlord, you kind of know your property is going to be rented for a certain period of time. You don't, mm -hmm. you, you've got an expectation that the tenant will probably not move. If you've got history track record from the years before that suggests that your occupancy rate is really high all the time, therefore you could probably forecast with some certainty that you've always got these rents coming in at that level. Because you know what the rent is and people are committed to yeah. it. And same with the business. You know, if you've got a business turnover and you've got a certain amount of customers that use you on a seasonal basis at every single point in time, then you know where you are with that as well. And same with the state agency business. You know, we know exactly how many customers use us every single year. We know what the targets we've got to achieve. And therefore, based on these targets, this is the cash flow we'll bring in. This is the profit we'll make. This is the income tax, we, the corporation tax we have to pay. This is the amount we can pay other people. And with these resources as well, in other words, in other words, if we do that target, we're going to have to have X amount of labour hours um, to be able to be able to supply to that target. Therefore, what's going to happen out of that is we're going to have to employ more people in order to be able to service that that number of sales. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's it's amazing how you know your typical example you see on the on the apprentice if you've ever watched that the guy goes well we're we're going to have to produce a thousand widgets and it's and then they get, the end, they get to the end of the day and they've only got two hundred made. And then they scratch their head and say, how the hell have only got 200 made? We're meant to make a 1,000. And then somebody pipes up and says, well, if you can only make five an hour, and that's how long it takes every hour, you can only make five an hour, and you've only got eight hours in the day, then you can only make 40 for every person. And so 40 for every person, yeah. 40 for every person. So if you've got 200 then you could, you've got five people, then that's why you're only making 200 because you've only got five people. You would have yeah. had to get another another um, five, and you would have had to get another four times. You would have to get another 20 people to make the 1,000. And that's, that's where they fail to 
that, that's why production planning is so important. So this is this is why you know if you're in a service industry like a state agency or or lettings or anything like that, you know what you need in terms of man hours for inspections and stuff, and also for a certain amount of sales, you know how you're going to take an hour to do a market appraisal, so you know how many hours is involved in that. But if you're in a production planning, you know what you're going to be making, you know how long it takes and how many man hours it takes to make a product. Therefore, if you're making a thousand widgets, you then know how many man hours you have to need to make a thousand widgets. Therefore, you're able to say if forty hours. A week a man works or a woman works, you know, let's not be sexist about this. Um, mm-hmm. And if that's what they work, then a thousand divided by the 40 comes into, you know, X amount of people we need to employ in order to make these widgets. That's yeah. production planning. And that's yeah. planning, planning and forecasting, and, and obviously looking at your, your budget and things to do things is so important, um, especially yeah. for any business, really. So that, that would be the first thing. We've talked about it in the past, and we've talked mm-hmm. about our sales in the past. And let's, you know, I'm I'm quite open about this because I'm not yeah. giving away yeah. information. We've talked about in our sales in the past and how our sales have not been as good as what we wanted it to be. And I've always come out with, you yeah. know what that means? That yeah, means definitely. the system revolves around me and my ability to perform. That's what happens. That's what often happens in small business. The system that revolves around that person. So they're like, oh, this is my company. I'm, it's not going to grow outside of me. I'm not going to let anybody else get involved in this. I'm not going to let anybody else get, you know, grow it anymore. And it's like, I'm just going to hold it all to myself. And it's like, and then you go to the end of the year and go, how come we never hit these sales targets? And you turn around to somebody else and say that. And they go, because you've controlled everything. You've yeah. not let anybody else take responsibility or, or, or do anything else. Therefore, you've kept it all to yourself. And the system and the business will only grow with what you're doing. Yeah. Because no one else is allowed to do it. And that's what happens. That's what happens in a lot of businesses, small businesses. That's why they do small. That'll be all too familiar to a lot of people that run small businesses. Um, because it just it's just what happens. And it's yeah, really it's something... I've yeah. got to be here all the time or this business can't do anything. It's like, well, that's the thing when you've probably got to make enough money to employ someone else. But that yeah. means profit will drop. Hey, newsflash, it happens for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's called an investment in growing your business. Your profit will have to drop in order for it. Look at, look at when I came out of industry. So I'm earning as a financial accountant, you know, as a financial controller when I was in industry. And I'm also earning as a buy-to-let landlord. Now, I had a choice here. I was running, you know, 160 hours a week in order to maintain all that myself. Yeah. And I had a choice. I had to step away from one of them. But the choice was, if I step away from one of them, then the income stops in one of them. Now, I looked at it and thought, if I step away from a job, income stops completely. If I step away from a buy-to-let, income doesn't stop. So therefore, I have to get my buy-to-let business up to a stage where it can sustain me stopping my business, my, my, mm-hmm. my work, my normal job. And that's why a lot of people, when I got to 30 properties and my bike to let, everybody was like, kind of walking away from it by now. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to get to about 40. I want to make sure I can make enough money to replace what I'm currently doing right now. This is why I never spent beyond my means. We mm-hmm. just looked, we just lived on our day-to-day income generated from our, our jobs. Actually, we put a lot of money into our buy-to-let business from our jobs. 
Um, so we had a very, very, I mean, we were running, we, we lived on a thousand pound a month and we were bringing in about triple that in our jobs. Yeah. But we lived on a thousand pound a month and all the rest went into our buy to let. Uh, and people go, it's like, holy shit, what, 66%? It's like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I had it down to a fine art. We were living on a thousand pound a month easily. But then look how that's paid off in the long run. Yeah, well, I, but then then that allowed me to leave my job because Mm -hmm. effectively, you know, I still wanted to invest in my buy to let, but I knew that wasn't going to be there anymore to do it. But I knew we could live in a thousand pounds a month. So I had to build my buy to let to a point where I knew there was a lot of money still to be reinvested, even though I was taking a thousand pounds a month out. But then that's when I thought to myself, okay, I've got, I've got time because it was generating, I was doing that in one and a half days a week. So when I was doing that in one and a half days a week, I was thinking to myself, well, I've got another, you know, five and a half days a week to use on other things. So five and a half days a week using someone, what else could I do? Well, I could be an estate agent. I could be a letting agent. We could just do that. Um, and that, that, so it was a natural progression for me to go and do yeah. that. And I found the right people to get involved with um, in order to start me off. And, and then the rest was history. Yeah. But I made sure the transition was right. Whereas a lot of people actually just leave their job straight away and go, I'm going to be a property entrepreneur. And it's like, okay, so where are you going to get your money? Oh, I'm going to generate that as a go. And it's like, okay, so you've not got anything to reinvest in because you're actually living off of that now. So you're not a property entrepreneur. You've just got yourself another job. You just changed job. <laughs> yeah. You just changed jobs. Hey, congratulations. You've got yourself another job. And it's probably less security <laughs> than what your job has in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> because it now, yeah. now that job uh, now that job relies on your ability to perform the one that you've just moved into whereas your work job for your employer they were giving you holidays and they were paying for it mm-hmm. but you're not getting holidays when you're on holiday you're not getting paid anything are you because you're self-employed yeah and and all, all too often you see people and that's the situation they've just basically changed job uh, as opposed to what you've just relayed as your journey and, and how you change things because it didn't revolve around you and your ability to perform it still run once you had obviously left your actual job and that's an important thing as well you touched on um how you changed your spending habits and things like that and it's really about monitoring your money as well and it really is important to track and forecast every expense and you you get quite geeky about this jim but it's, it's quite rightly like everything down to like the finer expenses, not just oh, the big things. I, um, I drive but... my daughter crazy. I think I drive Tony <laughs> crazy because I'm like to Tony, I'm like, where's the cash flow statement? And she's like, oh, I've no managed to do it. I says, well, you know when it's meant to be due, where's the yeah. cash flow statement? I want to see it. I want to see where our money's going and I want to see it's on projection for what we forecast for the rest of the month based on what we've done. So where yeah. are we now? What did we expect? Did it actually happen? And where are we going? You know, and where is that going to be at the end of the year then if that pans out as we, as we expected it to? So that's, that's why watching Jim's uh, daughter as an accountant, just in case they're wondering. <laughs> yeah, Tony, Tony was a, Tony trained as, a, as an accountant at Robert Gordon University. She was one of the yeah. top, but she was their top student in accountancy. Um, and uh, and then she ran away to the circus. <laughs> <laughs> she has really good at what she does. So. Uh, she saw she saw two old men sitting in an office doing tax and thought that's yeah. going to be me when I'm when I'm old as well. And she thought, no way, I'm I'm going. And then she ran away. Yeah, but she's found a really good balance overseas. because she worked overseas for Jacob Ridge Animal Sanctuary yeah. for a for a period of a year. She probably would have been there permanently, to be honest. 
Um, but then she came back and uh, and she she doesn't really she doesn't want to do accounts, but she helps me. She does accounts, yeah, and she's good at it. But she also does another thing, and I think she's found quite a good balance in that. Everybody um, should have some sort of knowledge about balance sheets, P and Ls, yeah, and cash flow. They should be taught the basic fundamentals of finance from a very early age. They should yeah. not be left to just guess and just rely on being taught by their parents because most of their parents, 95% of the population is probably broke at a different level or in debt still. Yeah, I mean, until, I mean, obviously a lot I've learned through yourself, Jim, but until I went away to college as well and done business management and things, I never really thought that much about, do you know what I mean? Like you say, balance sheets and and and, and all that. It's like, you just, it just, it's not in anybody's nature to generally just start thinking about that until you're in that position of, your, of you've got somebody that's showing you how to do that. Yeah. And it well, the first, really thing, the first thing I do when I get advice off of somebody is I run straight to their limited company and I check I out know. and I check out all the other limited companies they're director of or shareholder of. And therefore, then I get a really good assessment about what their expertise is and how how successful they really are and then that's mm -hmm. when i think to myself you've now got a pot to piss in yeah. and you're sitting telling me how to make money and you've not even made anything yourself how on earth can you do that how could a person is broke teach another person to be financially successful they would be successful themselves in their own right if that's the case yeah, yeah. so how could that person teach that other person to be successful and, and that could that could follow in every field, you know. That's why that's why as an accountant you get trained by other accountants. That's why as a you know as a as an apprenticeship as a, a joiner, as a baker, as a you know all these different professions you get trained by somebody else that's done it before you to make sure you can actually do it and the experience and expertise you're learning from them. And yet, when you go to school, you get nothing like that at all. When you go to college and university, it's completely different because you're actually yeah. by people that have done it in industry already. Yeah, that's where the lecturers and the teachers are. They're people that have actually done this already and actually are probably moderately successful at what they do. Harvard classic example is some of these people are, are, are teaching people are, are billionaires. Yeah, you know, they're Harvard, Harvard, Harvard professors, but they're billionaires in their own right. Mark Higgins is one of them, you know, and, and that's and, the people you want to learn from. You know, the, these are the sort of people you want to learn from. These are the people you want to talk, uh, be taught by. And that's why you get huge kudos when you've been at Harvard or when you've been at any other of these prominent schools because the, you're getting taught by people in their, their highest form of regard. Whereas mm -hmm. in normal mainstream school, you're just getting taught by people that have been taught, taught to be teachers and, and put you through the system and, and be set, specialist in a particular subject. But that's it. They've not really amounted to any financial success. So none of these people can actually teach you anything about financial acumen at a young age or in the school system at all. And that's why it's never that's never actually taught. And that's why it's never encouraged. Yeah. They just want to prepare you for life and to, to work for someone else. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, teachers are just academics. But I mean, if you were sat in a classroom with a billionaire teaching you, that's somebody you really want to learn from. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, I would say so. So uh, we've we've covered obviously looking at managing cash flow and things, and obviously planning in advance and forecasting and monitoring your money and expenses and things. But how important is it? 
for the people out there that have got businesses and, and running things to look at the ability for them to be able to borrow money uh, and, and to be able to borrow money before it's urgent. Now, I know a lot of people don't like to borrow money um, from creditors and things, and that's, uh, but there might actually be a need for it at some point, especially if you're running a business. Um, and it's important to be aware at some point you may need to do that, but you, you need to be able to make sure you're in a position to, to do that if you need it. What's your Absolutely. views on that? You've got to make sure at some point in time you've got that ability. There's no surprise, 30,000. Yeah. 20,000. Yeah. 10,000. Another 10,000. So easily I could get access to money if I really wanted to. Um, so that's easy access. However, I don't need it, but I make sure it's there if I do need it. Yes. Um, and and also the other thing as well is make sure you've got a good relationship with your bank manager um, and make sure uh, you keep them up to date with where you are in terms of your accounts and stuff like that. Um, you know, if you've got limited company accounts and you get them, you'll get them at the end of the, end of the year sent to you by your accountant, uh, send them on to your bank manager so they, they can see your accounts anyway. Oh, but, but I don't have an overdraft or I don't have a, a borrowing through the bank. I don't care. Send it to your bank manager so they can see them. Because if it ever comes to the point, um, and you look really favourable on these accounts right now, if it ever comes to the point where you need money, the bank manager can go, yeah, you're good for that. <laughs> Every single time. And they'll they'll jump through hoops because they get a bonus for bor for lending you money. You yeah. know, it's in their interest to lend you money. So they get a bonus for lending you money. Uh, another classic about that is that's why when you're extremely successful with your accounts, you want to get them submitted as quick as possible. This is what I want to do. So I want to get them submitted as quick as possible. Hence the reason why I've said to my accountants, I want them in before September because I yep. want them so they can, they're on file so I can give them to the bank manager. So they've all been ticked, all the boxes have been ticked off. So the bank manager looks at that and goes, this guy's worth it. You know, so when I say I need a facility of a couple of million, they go, absolutely. Can't argue with that at all because it's yeah. there in black and white. It's all written down, Definitely. it's all monitored, it's all checked, it's all signed off by your accountants, therefore, and it's all it's all um, a company's house, therefore they'll, they'll, they'll be good for it straight away every single time. So you want to keep up to date with all your stuff. You don't want to leave it to last minute. You don't want to leave it to the point where you, here's a small business attitude, and Ian, you might be watching. <laughs> he tells me he's getting fined 150 quid because he's late return on his accounts. Right, okay. okay, and I says, do you realise for the small, the this, the minuteness of your company, it, for 150 quid, you could probably get your a, a bookkeeper to submit that for you, so you don't need to do any of that at all. Mm -hmm. And he goes, it'll cost me 150 quid. I says, what does it just cost you the now? <laughs> and the fine that you've just got, and do you get this every year? He went, mm, kind of. It's like, why do you know just pay the accountant then to do it for mm -hmm. you for 150 quid to just submit it? That's all you need to do. And then it'll save you even the hassle of having to do it because they'll do it for you. Yeah, and, and not even just the monetary oh, aspect. Yeah. See, the opportunity, the opportunity cost. That's yeah. what we're talking about. So it's like, if I didn't if I didn't submit that on time, I wouldn't be fined the fine. But every single year, you've got a track record of getting fined every year because you're always a late submitter. So just pay the accountant the money to get it done and then you didn't need to bother about it ever again. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, it saves it saves time, it saves stress, and and, and yeah, basically. absolutely, absolutely, it's it's a false economy, um, no doing that. 
Um, and, and this, again, comes back to um, if you're a late returner as well, um, then you've not got these all that information straight away to be able to tick the box. Because the way the banks work is they want to see your tax return being submitted. So they mm -hmm. want to see the actual submission document. So it's like it's all very well to say, yo, you've paid this amount of tax on your bank statement and they can see it going to them. But it's like, no, 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 we want to see the HMRC code and everything that you've been given back yeah, yeah. and your submission document to know that you've actually paid this because you could have just taken that money out and just put pay HMRC, but you've actually paid your own account. Um, yeah, they need to see the actual evidence. Yeah, people can yeah. people can be fraudulent like that. You know, these are these are tactics that fraud, fraudsters have used for years in order to in order to uh, uh, cheat the bank into thinking that they've done these, and the banks have picked up on these over time. Uh, this yeah. is we we uh, gimmicks and we side uh, side that and shuffles that people will do uh, and hustles that they'll do to convince their bank that they should give them money when in actual fact they've not really got the money at all and they've not got the ability to pay it back. So they want to see things in black and white, plus the fact as well, they want to see your bank statements every single time if you want to borrow money. So they keep an eye on your account, as I've had recently with the 1.9 million. Yeah. You know, it's like, I have no doubt they've been every single time and they've left me for about three months. But at some point in time, I've got a huge amount of cash in there, by the way, and I've left it there for a deliberate reason. Because so, I could take it out and utilise it for something else. But as soon as I take it out, they'll go, can I get your three-month bank statements just to catch up with things? And then they'll go, "Yeah, you've actually got 50,000 missing. <laughs> it's like, shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's like then they go. Wait a minute, have you got a problem somewhere else that you're needing to, you know, you're needing to help? And then it's like, no, no, I've no, I've no. So leave it where it is until you're until your deal's done. Don't touch yeah. it. Yeah. It's like you've got to show because remember they they're just one sided. The banks are just one sided. They can only see one side of this transaction, and you have to show them the best possible side. It ticks every single box that they've got. Yeah. This is why my bank manager used to say to me when I used to take them in for buy. I used to take all the proposals in for buy to let and says, "I'm wanting to buy this. Here's all my documentation for buying this, and here's all the, the all the background and knowledge about buying this." And 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 they used to say to me, "It's like you know, you know, jokingly said, are you going to tell me what you had for your breakfast as well?'" And I went, <laughs> I went "What do you mean?" He says, "Christ Almighty!" He says, "You have given me no option but to say yes." That's the it's position a, you want to be in. I can't even say no to what you're saying. I have no ability to say no because you've just shown me every single thing that leaves me with no option but to say yes to what you've just said. I went, exactly. That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, so, so as a business, you really want to do that. But as yeah, I said, yeah. you know, we'll come back to saying it. Most businesses fail for poor cash flow management. So make yeah, sure yeah. you aren't one of them by getting a grip on your income and your outgoings. And understand yeah, what yeah. I've just said in this show about the fact that you can easily run out of money but be very profitable. So don't sit and look at your profit and loss statement. Look at your cash flow in your bank every single time. But be aware of you've got money sitting there and possibly to pay a tax bill or your accounts, you know, or, 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 or your VAT as well. And so don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught out with that because I tell you what, it'll come back to haunt you. For the people in COVID as well, you know, we all got concessions to say that, oh, you don't need to pay your tax bill now. You can you can pay it next year if you want. If you're struggling for cash flow, and it's like, no, it's like I'm paying it now. It's like, no, I'm not getting into that. That's a credit card option. You know, that's the credit yeah. card. When you get to the end of the month, you then find out it's like, wait a minute, my expenditures actually move forward one month. 
it's like I'm now carrying a month's worth of expenditure every single time because I've been mm -hmm. putting on credit cards all the time. Hence the reason why I get statements from my credit cards paid straight away. Yeah, I've always got that, the money to make sure it's paid straight away. I keep an eye on the credit card, I keep an eye on my bank, and I say always, as soon as the statement comes in, paid straight away. I couldn't care less. Oh, but I'll go against your credit history. And it's like, I couldn't care less. I'm no sitting there taking a risk. I am not taking risk with money um, no. because I'm not getting caught out with that situation. I was caught out with that years and years ago, younger, um, where, I, where I, I experienced that. It's like, you know, you get the credit card and then the next minute you realise it's like you get your salary and then, it's, then it goes off to pay the credit card. And it's like, I've not got a salary left. Right? Yeah. Now you're, having to, now you're having to use your credit card to get your day-to-day -day stuff for the next month. Then you're stuck in that cycle. Lots of you're people are in that. Cycle. And that's what credit card companies love. And even worse, then you'll get another month ahead of your credit. So you'll be carrying another month's worth of goods and services on your credit card and you won't be able to pay that month off. So now you're getting down to the point of paying, oh, just pay the £44 a month now to get the minimum payments because yeah. they give you that option, don't they? They're flying that way. Eh? They won't encourage yeah. you to borrow as much as possible so they can charge you as much as possible because it's a killing for them. So don't get caught in that trap with credit cards. Definitely get out of it every single time. Yeah, credit cards can be a vicious circle to get caught in, and I've heard so many stories over the years right, of people that are, are stuck in that cycle, and it, it's hard for them to get out. But, I mean, from a business perspective, and just like we've covered this morning, eh, this afternoon, should I say, is please remember to plan in advance. Always make sure you've got that ability to borrow money if you need it, and it's urgent yeah. to do that. And eh, and monitor your money, like we've said. And if you do all that and, and keep things on track, if you're using spreadsheets and, and got a good accountant and things, you're, you're going to be that one big step closer to your own success. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's really a good place to, to finish yeah, up today. Absolutely. I don't mention Cash flow is king. You know, as yeah. I said before, um, you know, turnover is just a vanity. Your sales is, is vanity. People go, I've made a million. I'm, oh, this is a classic for furus, isn't it? You know, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing in a million. It's like, Okay, what do you mean by bringing in a million? You've got to ask that question. What do you mean by bringing in a million? Does that mean you're bringing in a million pounds in rent and then you're you're having to pay all your costs off of that? Or is that truly a million pounds in your, on your bottom line in your bank at the end of it after tax? That's what you have to clarify with most people that go out and say, you know, this, oh, how, look at how successful I am. We're doing five million. Okay, you're doing five million. But is that is that is that sales? Five million of what? Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that is that profit? And if that's profit, is it net profit after your tax? So is it is it is it your earnings, your retained earnings that you've got in your bank? And 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 how does that change the cash flow? Is that cash you've got coming in, or is that money you've still got sitting out in debtors and, and creditors? And that's the sort of questions you've got to ask these people that try to suck you into these, uh, you know, into these different. Um, uh, courses that's the sort of thing you've got to ask them and always be always be that person who asks these questions because it's the people that don't ask the questions that suffer yeah. from the mistakes i had i had i had a well-known and i'm not going to name his name most people know him anyway it deals in currency trading for example mm -hmm. and he, he was putting this tiktok advert out every single time and says that is the day i made two hundred thousand in one trade and i'm like what 200 grand he made in one trade in currency. I'm like, okay, let's get to the bottom of this. You made 200,000 <laughs> in one trade. And then, so, so 
I tell you what, I tried my best to ask him, so how much did you start with to make that trade? How much did you buy, forward buy, in terms of your currency? How much mm -hmm. did you commit? And they were going, you know, oh, and they were fudging it every single time. Politicians answer, they wouldn't tell me the answer. Yeah. But then I transpired, he committed 15 million to get the 200,000. <laughs> now he got his 15 million back, but he made 200,000 on the 15 million. But that's fine. I mean, that's but, a way, that's a way, that's a way yeah, to do it. You would have to have 15 million in the first place. And most people, because he sells he sells courses for currency trading, and, and he probably gets them involved in his uh, currency trading system, and he'll take a small proportion of that income every single time when they do a trade through his system. So that's yeah. where he makes his money, and his course, and his system that he's selling to people to use. And um, So that's where he's making his money. But who's got 15 million to do the 200,000 in one day? And, but people get delusional and then they think, I can make 200,000 in one day. Well, only if you've got 15 million to sit in your account and actually and, and, and use yeah. as, as liquid capital, because that's what he's doing to get the 200,000. So unless you've got 15 million, you're not getting anything and you're not getting anything near that. Well, I can make a thousand and it's like, okay, but but even a thousand, what are you going to have to put in to try and get a thousand on that one trade? So yeah. there's no question about so how many losses have you made then? See, that's the next one. So you've made you've made this trade, but how many trades have you made that you made a loss? You don't tell us about them, do you? So you've got yeah, to be very wary about yeah. the first question you've got to ask about is why is people doing it? And the, the first question you've got to ask about this is why am I doing this? Yeah. And I'll just finish off by saying the reason I'm doing this is because we can leave some sort of footprint for my generations to come of timeless content that they can learn from so my grandkids my great grandkids my great great grandkids and all the rest of it rather than me uh, writing a book which i can't be bothered with <laughs> <laughs> but then i suppose videos the book well, in the future think about it, richard in years and years and years to come you'll still be in these videos as well <laughs> i know i know you're not getting a royalty by the way <laughs> no it's fine <laughs> that's why we're doing this and we've, we've yeah, been yeah. we've been kind enough to say that we'll just we'll just do it live and we'll show other people exactly what to do because I'd, i i will bet your bottom dollar that 95 percent of people listening to this or watching this will go that's fantastic and then they'll just go back to their normal day-to-day -day lifestyle five percent will probably take action at some point in time and this will help them on their way but 95 percent won't do anything even though they're moderately successful in what they're doing right now they just won't do anything because they've peaked they've got to a certain yeah. stage in their life where they're happy with what they've got and that's great you know that's all they want out of life great stuff fill your boots but this is left as a legacy more than anything and um, probably more valuable than money to the next generations to come about you know how important for example, in this show, how important cash flow is as opposed to profit and and sales and turnover. Yeah, definitely. And I do hope that the 5% that take action use this as maybe a reference point and take things away from it that do help them yeah, on yeah. their journey. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, and that's that's awesome. good. Yeah, we'll leave it there today. That was great, Jim. Thanks for covering cash flow. And uh, yeah, cash flow is king. And thanks everyone for watching. Okay, bye-bye for now.